Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So I was chatting with my friend, and she works in permissions at this amazing art center in Texas. And she was telling me that sometimes her job involves traveling with famous artworks in trucks. So what, what does that mean exactly? Well, that was my question, too. But if a New York museum wanted to loan, like, a Frida Kahlo painting... Well, part of her job involves hopping in a truck with a painting and escorting it cross-country, just making sure it gets delivered. Like, she doesn't touch the art, but she just helicopter parents over it. Mm -hmm. But the truck part of it is crazy to me, because I imagined it'd just be easier to send paintings by plane. But apparently trucks are the preferred way to send expensive art. So was the experience fun for her, or what? It was the exact opposite. <laughs> it was supposedly this white glove service, but it's still just a truck. And she was stuck in the back as these bros apparently blasted bad music. So she just read and slept as they took turns driving. But the whole thing made me realize I know nothing about trucking. <laughs> and the fact that these big vehicles are hauling everything from greeting cards to masterworks is kind of astounding to me. So what's life like for these men and women who spend so much of their life on the road? And that's what today's episode's all about. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hathikater. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, wearing this amazing trucker hat. What does it say on it? <laughs> cheese Whiz. It just says Cheese Whiz on it. <laughs> Our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. He's always prepared for these episodes with the best props. It's so crazy. Good. All right, well, today we're looking under the hood of one of the most important and maybe most underappreciated jobs in the world, and that's the professional truck driver. And we're all familiar with these massive tractor trailers that crowd the highways and maybe move a bit more slowly than we'd like. But, you know, most of us don't give a second thought to the men and women behind the steering wheels. With about three and a half million people in the U.S. who drive trucks for a living, that's an awful lot of people to be overlooked. And in fact, their work is a big part of what keeps the economy humming. So today we're giving truckers their due and checking out some of the coolest, maybe most surprising and strangest parts of life on the open road. 
Definitely. And we'll be checking in with our trucker pal, Roger. Aside from running his family farm in southern Maryland, Roger's also the owner-operator of this small fleet of trucks, which he partly uses to collect milk from Amish dairies. So we'll talk to him about being a local truck driver and find out what keeps him going through these long days and nights at the wheel. All right. So I mentioned up front that truckers play a huge role in the success of our economy. So I really thought we should start by just getting a better sense of what their impact is exactly. Yeah, it's kind of tricky because trucking is one of those industries where so much happens behind the scenes. And obviously the trucks themselves are highly visible, but where they're going and what they're actually hauling, that goes largely unseen. Yeah, that's true. So let me pull some stats up here for you. So the American Trucking Association reports that roughly 70 percent of the country's freight is shipped on trucks. That's about 10.5 billion tons every single year. That's way, way more than the amount of freight moved by plane or train or any other means. But, you you know, when you say that, like the term freight just feels so vague. Like, can you clarify a little about what those 10.5 billion tons are? Well, pretty much everything. I mean, you know, they haul construction materials, industrial machinery, lots of other things that don't involve the average consumer. But they're also responsible for moving just about everything you'd find on a store shelf. I know our researcher, Gabe, was trying to give us some examples. And I think he was pretty proud of himself because he said <laughs> from blueberries to blue jeans to bluebell ice cream. You see what he did there with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, a so, lot of blues. He's so clever. <laughs> but imagine if all of that stopped, right? Like if suddenly there were no more big rigs and no more truck drivers. It's really no exaggeration to say that the American economy would collapse. Yeah. Like, you know, planes and trains and boats could probably fill in the gaps eventually, but prices would skyrocket and it would be utter chaos. Well, and what most people don't realize is that the prices would likely stay high in the long term, not just the short term. And why is that? Well, you've got to remember that all other transportation methods cost way more than shipping (laughs) by truck. Yeah, I guess that's true. And it's pretty insane how dependent we are on trucks. So I was curious about the industry's rise. So I actually looked into the history of semi-trucks in the U.S. Uh, Apparently, the man credited with actually inventing them was this guy from Ohio named Alexander Winton. He was this car maker who was sick of how time-consuming and expensive it was to deliver cars to their new owners. And this was in the 1890s. Like, most roads were unpaved and didn't extend very far beyond the city's limits. People would order cars from all over the country, and the only way to get them there was to individually drive each car, which put this insane amount of wear and tear on the new cars, not to mention all these miles. But for Winton, the worst part was the hit he took in the wallet. Like, delivering the cars was actually a great cost to him and his company. So his solution was this automobile hauler. Basically, it was a new type of vehicle that could carry a car on this attached trailer. And so in 1899... Winton started manufacturing the hauler for his own use, and then he started selling them to other car makers once the word got out. All right, so so the first 18-wheelers were actually made to ship cars? I, I would have guessed, you know, that would have been building materials or groceries or, or something else, but I, I didn't think about cars. Yeah, and I, I mean, 18-wheelers were still a long way off in Winton's day. Like, his trailers actually only had two wheels, and they could haul just one car at a time. But as the nation's highway system began to take shape, other manufacturers took notice, and they expanded on the design. And over the next 40 years, they kept evolving it until it became what we're familiar with today. That's pretty interesting. Well, it's weird to think about a time when roads didn't actually connect. I remember we did that story at Mental Floss about the woman who drove cross-country. I think it was in the early 1900s. Yeah, her name's Alice Ramsey. I love that piece. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, I looked up the article again, and she crossed the country in 1909. It was on this road trip with three other young women. And it took them 59 days. Why? Because there was no atlas. I mean, you'd have to get local maps in each town and 
The roads didn't always have the same name, so you'd navigate, then you'd have to backtrack, then drive again. I mean, it just sounds so confusing. Mm-hmm. They changed something like 10 or 11 tires along the way. I mean, it's actually kind of crazy they even made it. I know, it's insane. But, you know, the thing I really remember from that piece was that Alice had been set up to do this for PR, to show that women could actually drive, because people were worried about all these insane things about cars uh, you know, they they traveled at about 15 to 20 miles per hour, and it was this open-air vehicle at the time, which they thought was terrible for women's health. They thought it could, <laughs> you know, impact their nerves and their mental health, or even worse, all that fast-blowing wind could leave them with something they called automobile face. <laughs> oh, man. Nobody wants a woman to have automobile face. <laughs> That's so dumb. All right. Well, all that to say, it's it's kind of impossible to think about how bad the roads must have been, you know, delivering cars back in Winton's time. And you can see why he was so inspired to create his truck bed. But, but speaking of which, I'm curious, like, how interchangeable are these terms? So so far we've said 18-wheeler and semi, but, you know, you also see things like tractor-trailer and big rig. So why do we call it a semi anyway? Well, I, I was surprised to learn this, but apparently all those terms pretty much refer to the same thing. But talking about the semi, that's actually meant to describe the trailer and not the truck. So I, I'm going to find the inventor in my notes here. Yeah, it's this guy, this Detroit blacksmith, his name's Charles August Freyhoff, who first coined the phrase semi-trailer. This is back in 1914, and he used it to describe a carriage he'd built for a customer who wanted to move a boat. And the name comes from the fact that the trailer had no front wheels and could only be used when hooked up to a truck. Got it. So so it's it's only kind of a trailer because it's mostly useless without a truck to tow it. Of course, and, and people now use the name semi-trucks to refer to the tractor part of a tractor-trailer, too. But in this case, like you mentioned, the truck half functions fine on its own. By the way, when you were researching, did you come across the site truckspills.com? I can't say that I did. So so what is that? <laughs> I mean, I can guess what that is. But. Yeah, I know. And I mean, it is a little disturbing. It's mostly these tumped over trucks with things they've spilled. That so. would have been my guess. <laughs> yeah, it's like pictures of a truck that's crashed. But then you see all the butternut squash spilled over the highway or there was actually a molasses spill. It's a little weird to be looking at these accidents, but you do get a sense of how much stuff each truck carries. Like if just one truck is carrying 5,000 gallons of molasses it can actually take eight to nine hours to clean up all that stickiness. Or there was a truck that crashed and it was carrying eels, and the goo that spilled out onto the other cars on the highway is so gross. That is disgusting. (laughs) Here's the caption from a local paper. So, quote, more than 7,000 pounds of hagfish, also known as slime eels, coated a section of Highway 101 with a gel described as, quote, Spider-Man's webbing crossed with jellyfish. I have so many questions about this. Like, I really want to know, were they all in aquariums? Were they just, like, stacked on top of one another? Like, how does this work? But either way, it sounds really disgusting. Yeah, um, and the pictures are really gross. You should check it out. Well, you know, actually, when you think about these spills and, and those kinds of crashes, think about how hard truck driving is. It's kind of amazing there aren't more crashes But while we're on this subject, we should probably point out that the term truck drivers is a much broader term than you might think. You know, basically, we group large commercial truck drivers into two main categories. So there's local and long haul. Local drivers or short haul truckers, as they're also called, they're the ones that mostly stick to their area around a city. And they might also venture into more distant parts of of the same state. Right. So these are the delivery drivers for companies like UPS and FedEx, as well as the tanker drivers who refuel gas stations. And There are a host of other kinds of drivers like this who service their local communities. So then you look at the other end of the spectrum, and you have long-haul truckers, also known as over-the-road drivers. And 
know, these are the folks who transport goods across state lines from coast to coast and probably what most people tend to think of when they picture truckers. Okay, so the difference mostly boils down to distance covered, but are there other distinctions too? Well, distance is definitely the main difference, but, um, you know, for example, the average semi travels about 45,000 miles in a year, but the trucking industry and the Federal Highway Administration estimate that trucks used for long distance hauls, they average more than twice that amount at about, uh, I think it's like 125,000 miles per year, huh. and that's roughly 500 miles per workday. That's crazy. So obviously that leads to this difference in lifestyle as well. No question about that. And and it's no surprise that long haul truckers spend more time on the road than their local counterparts, which you know, also means they might make it home once every few weeks or sometimes not even for a month or maybe even longer than that. Yeah, it's really hard. So I also read that long haul truckers make much more money than local drivers. And I guess you can see why if they have to be away from their families for such long times. Yeah, I was actually curious and, and looked into this. If you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the average income of a truck driver was about 43000 almost 44000 in 2016. But local drivers often make ten to 15000 less than that in exchange for being able to return home every night. Yeah, th that's one thing you always hear about truck driving, that the money is actually pretty good and they can deliver this middle-class level paycheck without a college diploma. But if that's mostly true for only long-haul truckers, you have to wonder if the trade-offs are worth it. Yeah, we're definitely not the only ones wondering that. According to a 2016 report, the turnover rate for the biggest truckload fleets in the country was a staggering 81% last year. That's insane. I mean, more than three quarters of the trucking workforce bailed in a single year. Yeah, and here's the craziest part. That 81% from last year was actually the lowest turnover rate the industry had seen in the past five years. Whoa. So in reality, the majority of long-haul truckers quit before they even make it to the one-year mark. So you've got to think that accounts for a big part of that turnover. Like, I read that sometimes truckers will only see other people for an hour or so each day. And that's when they stop for gas or stop to use the restroom. But the rest of the time, they're alone in their truck cab. And whether that's driving on the highway or sleeping at a rest stop, even if the money's good, that kind of isolation has to be hard. Yeah, it is. And, you know, to make things even worse, the system itself actually kind of encourages this seclusion. So why is that? Well, truckers are paid by the mile, not by the hour. But federal regulations only allow them to drive for 11 hours within every 14-hour work window. So they have to rest for 10 hours before they can legally drive again. And so what that means is that the pressure is on to cover as many miles as possible in those 11 hours that they're able to drive. And that obviously means stopping for breaks or to interact with people isn't really an option. Exactly. And so they need to spend as much time behind the wheel as possible or else they're losing income. And, and because there are fewer people on the road after dark, it also means plenty of truckers choose to drive through the night so they can avoid traffic and cover as much distance as possible. What's weird is that so much of the appeal of truck driving, at least for me, is that you get to travel and see parts of the country you wouldn't see otherwise. But I guess if you're trying to squeeze as many miles into a day, you don't really have that much time for sightseeing. That's true. But, you know, obviously it does work for some people and every trucker's experience is different. There are plenty of reports and interviews, you know, about the stress and the drudgery. But, you know, that's hardly the whole story. There's lots of long haul drivers that take the job because they appreciate that independence and you know, maybe that sense of freedom that comes with cruising along the American highways. Anyway, we've talked a lot about the pros and cons of long haul trucking. But what do you say we get Roger on the line and see what life behind the wheel is like for local drivers? Yeah, let's do it. So, Mango, we've got a special guest on the line today. We've been talking about truck drivers in this episode, and we have someone who has a very interesting job driving. Now, he's a farmer by day, 
farming grains, corn, wheat, soybeans, and so forth. But he has a driving job many nights of the week. I'm not sure How does he pull that when off? he sleeps, but we'll ask him a little bit about that. But Roger Chapelier, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thank you. Now, Roger, where are you joining us from today? I'm in southern Maryland, about 20 miles south of Washington, D.C. Okay. Well, I, I understand that um, in addition to farming, a couple of decades ago, you started a very interesting job as a, uh, as a driver. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I, uh, I haul the milk from, uh, it's actually 15 Amish farms currently, but I go, I go to 15 farms every other night uh, and pick up the milk that they've produced, and then I take it to a, a processing plant, and, uh, and I do that uh, every, other, every other night. I love that. Actually, I, I know that Gabe did a story with you for Mental Floss magazine a while back, and one of the descriptions he had in there that I loved so much was just being able to take a cup of cold, fresh milk and just how creamy and delicious that tasted. <laughs> and and I, that's good. always stuck with me. But I, I did have a question. So obviously these are two different worlds that you're bridging, this driving a truck and this community that doesn't really use electricity. So I was curious, do you have any good stories from when those worlds interact? Um. Certainly, the the actual communication process in itself can be very difficult. Occasionally, there are changes to the schedule, i.e., when when the milk is going to be delivered or needs to be delivered, and stuff like that. Uh, in that case, they have a payphone or or an outside phone. It's not not a, like a coin operated payphone, but they have a phone, and they'll call me. And if I'm available, of course, I'll answer. If not, they leave me a message. But there is no way to contact them to respond short of traveling down there and actually, you know, physically talking to someone. Wow. And especially when we're talking 15 different farms, I'm sure that's a challenge. Right. That's right. And, and you know, with milk being kind of a perishable <laughs> commodity, you have to you have to have good good communication so that you can make things happen when they need to, how they need to. Yeah. yeah. And I have to ask, Roger, I mean, what, what kind of hours do you keep? Because I know farming alone is a full time job. So how do you do that and manage driving every other night of the week? Uh, it's It's gotten harder as I've had more birthdays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I typically start about midnight, and uh, if everything goes well, I get done by six thirty or seven o'clock in the morning. When uh, you know, on on the nights that I pick up the milk. But then you're right back on the farm that next day. Or are you able to sleep during that next day? No, I don't sleep during the day. I typically, if I got done at, at seven o'clock, I might uh, I might take a little snooze until nine or so before I got back to it. Wow, that sounds a lot like our jobs, except not <laughs> not at all. That's that's pretty amazing. That's remarkable. So I was curious, how did you start this trucking business to to begin with? The Amish community down here uh, was was shipping milk, and then their local plant closed, uh, went out of business, and so they were without a destination for their milk, and they actually stopped milking for several years, and. Um, and, and they miss that. I think. I think it's it's part of the fabric of uh, of many Amish communities that dairy dairy operation. It's how they it's how they bring their children up, you know, to be uh, to be in the workforce and stuff like that. But uh, but anyway, I I had a, a, a Amish gentleman that I sold some hay to, and he said we need 
a a what they they call us English. They're Amish and they refer to us as, as English. But he said we need an English farm to start dairying, so that we can get a milk truck in the area. And um, and I just casually off the cuff said that you know that'd be something I was interested in. So I ended up not actually starting a dairy farm, but I did did end up um, I guess deciding to haul the milk for them. <laughs> wow. Well, because of that job, it now qualifies you to take today's big quiz. So, Mango, <laughs> what, what quiz are we playing with, Roger? It's called Keep On Trucking. All right. So that's it. We'll, we'll give you a clue, Roger, and you just have to tell us what type of truck we're talking about. Are you ready? I'll try. All right. Question number one. This Minnesota toy company's best-selling toy is the bright yellow Mighty Dump Truck, which it first released in 1965. Can you name the company? I'm going to go with Tonka. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually named for Lake Minnetonka. All right. I did not know that. Yeah, that's All right. Great. Okay. Question number two. The drums on these trucks typically turn in one direction to keep the contents mixing and the other direction when they need to pour the contents out of chute. What type of truck are we talking about? That's a concrete mixer. Yeah, that's right. A cement truck. That's right. All right. He's two for two. Question number three. What type of truck crushes about 3,000 cars in a lifetime? Type of truck crushes 3,000 cars. I don't know of a truck that does that, but there is a trailer that is a car crusher. There's an actual trailer that does that. Or, or maybe you're talking about Bigfoot or one of those, uh, one of those things. Yeah, that's right. It's a monster truck. Yep, you got it. You came back around to it, and they actually cost about, what, 600000 to build? Isn't that Didn't we crazy? see that? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. All right. So Roger is three for three. We thought he was going to miss that one, but then he just, <laughs> he had it and he dug deep and found the answer. All right. You got two questions I, left. I pulled it out. I pulled it out at the end. That's I? right. That's right. <laughs> Question number four. After trying to use blocks, ropes, and six men to pull a car out of a creek, Ernest Holmes came up with a design for this type of truck in 1916. It's a wrecker. Yeah, that's right, a tow truck. Tow truck, all right. Roger is four for four. Sleep deprivation doesn't do anything to this guy. All right, (laughs) the last question, question number five. Here we go. Harry Burt of Youngstown, Ohio, is the inventor of this type of truck, using it to sell and deliver chocolate-covered suckers to kids. Uh, Ice cream truck, maybe? Yeah, that's right. Burt was actually the inventor of the Good Humor brand. Wow. So how did Roger do today, Mango? He went astounding five for five, and that entitles him to our grand prize, which is an official part-time genius certificate of genius, along with an official T-shirt. Congratulations, Roger, and thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. You guys are very welcome. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. 
tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Listen to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the highs and lows of being a professional truck driver. Okay, so, Will, you mentioned the sense of freedom that many truck drivers cite as one of the best parts of the job, but since every haul has a set destination and this very tight deadline, I'm curious what kind of freedom we're talking about. Well, you know, there's the freedom of being your own boss. I mean, long-haul truckers ultimately answer to a dispatcher, but you know, most of the time they're on their own, and it's up to them to decide which route they take or where and when to stop along the way. That makes sense. And speaking of stops, ever since our pal Stacy Conrad told us about this massive truck stop she visited, I, I've been fascinated by truck stops. Just how there are these roadside meccas where truckers from all over gather and rest up. And I'm just so curious what the culture is like in there and how it all works. Yeah, and I remember visiting some of those travel plazas, you know, on car trips as a kid and being so confused about some of the services that were offered there. Like gas and snacks made sense, but then there were things like barbershops and movie <laughs> theaters. And I couldn't understand why anyone would drive to the middle of nowhere just for a haircut. You know, like <laughs> I, I really wasn't thinking about it or understanding it. Yeah, so I looked at the history a little, and apparently truck stops started popping up back in the 1950s when President Eisenhower introduced his uh, highway system bill. And, and so they, they were really just a means for drivers to refuel without having to go too far out of the way. And you've got to remember, there was no GPS at the time, so it was daunting to venture off the highway and wander into some small town and, and then try to look for a gas station. And then as the trucking industry grew and more long-distance truck drivers began to use the highway routes, the truck stops started offering more services, and these are the things that catered directly to the trucker crowd. The first of these added amenities included places to park and sleep and, and then restaurants to eat at and, and finally showers to use as well. Well, they've definitely come a long way since then, and I decided to dig around for the most luxurious truck stops I could find, and I'm happy to report I was not disappointed by this. <laughs> for instance, one of the most famous is in uh, Iowa. It's the Iowa 80 truck stop in Walcott, Iowa, and it's been around since 1964, and it's pretty famous in the trucker circles. It bills itself as the world's largest truck stop, and that probably is true. I was looking at the size of it. It's over 100,000 square feet, and it sees about 5,000 visitors every single day. I get that it's big, but where does the luxury part come in? Well, for starters, it has eight different restaurants, 24 private showers, and it's got things you might want, like, you know, a workout room, but it's also got a chiropractor, an on-site dentist, and there's a trucking museum in case you're looking to get some culture in while you're there. <laughs> and if that isn't enough, the truck stop's legendary 50-foot salad bar should do the trick. <laughs> I don't even know, like, what you put in a 50-foot salad bar. That's a lot of salad. Pure luxury. I don't know. <laughs> i got to check this out at some point. But, you know, the best part may be that they've got all the major mats covered as well. What's that mean? You know, you got the laundromat and the 
truck mat truck wash and a dog mat which I, I guess is a pet wash. <laughs> the O-Mat trifecta. Yeah, and we should also note that the name is dog mat but it's actually just a pet wash. So in theory, they'll take your hamster, your turtle, maybe your parrot. Do you mean they name other animals that they <laughs> might do. take? They don't discriminate at the dog mat So one thing I find interesting about modern truck stops is that they're sort of torn between catering to the actual truckers and then plain old motorists. Yeah, I was I was reading this article in Pacific Standard magazine, and and the author, his name is uh, Will Stevenson. He spent 24 hours hanging out at a truck stop. He interviewed truckers who passed through, and he was trying to get a sense of what it's like to spend a good chunk of time at just one of these places. And that mix of clientele leads to this uneasy culture. So just listen to how Stevenson describes the contrast between truckers and you know the other truck stop patrons. He says. When I get back, I discover that the pilot truck stop has unexpectedly transformed into a popular community dessert spot, and the soft-serve ice cream station is finally getting the attention it deserves. High school kids and their well-dressed parents fill styrofoam bowls of the stuff, covered in sprinkles and chocolate chips and caramel syrup. Their exuberance contrasts sharply with the zombie gates of the truckers straggling in from the back lot, clearly unsettled by the makeup and blazers and just general good cheer. They steal glances at the family while shuffling down the aisles, grabbing gallons of water and chips and DVDs to watch while falling asleep. Uh, that, that really makes you feel for the truckers who are just wiped out. Yeah. And obviously they're there because they have to work, but now they've got to deal with these annoying vacationers as well. But I, I have to say, even though I'm not a part of it, I really do love that there's this trucker subculture out there that sets them apart from other people on the road. Like, hey, have you heard that truckers only refer to other truckers as drivers? Everyone else, like you and me, are called four-wheelers. I'm guessing that's the kind of lingo you'd hear, you know, when you, you hear about them using CB radio and such. Definitely. And, and, you know, I was looking to CB radios for this episode. Did you know that the shortwave communication method was actually developed by the same guy who invented walkie-talkies? No, that's pretty cool. So, actually, I'm curious. Why did he name it CB? Yeah, it, it stands for Citizens Band. And it took off among truck drivers in the 60s and 70s both as a way of alleviating boredom and as a way of, like, finding the cheapest gas prices and also avoiding speed traps. Well, and it was revolutionary in its day, and this was long before cell phones and smart devices made it easy for all of us to keep in touch on the road. And amazingly, it still has a place in the trucker world, and part of that is because cell phone usage is strictly monitored by the trucking companies. You know, I, I think we mentioned that Betty Ford had a CB handle. Yeah. Uh, like she went by the name First Mama and she used her CB to chat and campaign for Gerald Ford, which which I love. It's funny how even before there were chat rooms and Twitter handles and whatever, you know, CB handles were this fun way to identify yourself. You see names like Mud Duck or Bullfrog or, <laughs> or whatever. But I mean, the thing I didn't realize is that part of the reason people use those names in the first place was to avoid licensing fees. So when CB radios first hit the scene, you had to pay $20 for a license to use it. So most of the users, especially truckers, came up with these handles as a way of staying anonymous and ducking the fees. I mean, I, I guess that taints the name Bullfrog a little <laughs> bit, but it, it's still pretty cool. And, and that reminds me, though, we should talk a little bit more about the current state of truck driving. You know, why some people choose to be truck mates and what's going to happen when trucks become self-driving. Absolutely. But before we do, how about we pause for a little break? Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Okay, so we were talking about the CB radio and how it coincided with the rise of long-haul truckers in the mid-20th century. It was really kind of the golden age of American trucking. And this was when the U.S. economy started to lean more heavily on truckers for all of its shipping needs, and so their ranks swelled with enthusiastic drivers. But the 1970s quickly brought trouble for truckers in the form of this national gas crisis. There were skyrocketing fuel prices and a government-imposed speed limit of 55 miles an hour, And so the trucking industry looked like it was honestly heading for a cliff. Right. And that's when CB radios actually took on this new importance for drivers as a means of fighting back against government regulations. I read about this one trucker in particular, J.W. Edwards, a.k.a. River Rat, and he organized a national strike that brought hundreds of drivers from around the country to the I-80 highway in Pennsylvania. And the truckers formed a blockade on the highway that lasted 10 days I mean, the only reason it ended was that the governor of Pennsylvania called in the National Guard to break it all up. Wow. You know, and and after the strike, drivers became these kind of like working folk heroes in the eyes of the American public. And movies like Smokey and the Bandit and Convoy portrayed truckers as these wily cowboys of American highways, speaking in code and fighting back against the man. Actually, there's a movie. What was that Sylvester Stallone movie where he was the arm wrestler? Was it over the top? <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought top. about that movie in years. I'm have to go, why didn't we watch that for this? We, we should. Because I have this. traumatic memories of it. My oh, my older cousin made me watch it, and then he forced me to arm wrestle for like an hour afterwards, and just kept beating me. <laughs> I don't think any of our listeners would be surprised to know we're, we're not champion arm wrestlers. <laughs> No. But uh, should we say what happened after this folk hero bit? Because, like, how did the public go from glorifying truckers to flat out ignoring them in just a few decades? Well, once the fuel crisis was resolved, truckers got less national attention. And just like with Westerns or pirate films, people eventually got tired of seeing movies about truckers. You know, the public perception of truck drivers also started to shift a little when there were some reports of shady behavior at truck stops. But really, mostly the public just kind of moved on from it. So obviously the industry has had these ups and downs over the years, but we should talk about where it's at today. Yeah, I thought we could highlight a few of the surprising things we found out about today's truckers and and what they might mean for the future of trucking in America. Sure. So here's a fact that surprised me. Women now account for nearly 6% of all long-haul truckers, 
And while that might not seem like much, it's actually a 2% increase from just 10 years ago. And although the other 94% of truckers might be unwilling to admit it, there's actually evidence that female truckers do a much better job. So according to Werner Enterprises, female drivers outperform male drivers when it comes to accidents, inspections, and compliance with safety regulations. So I'm curious, did you come across any of these truck driving couples that are out there while you were doing your research? You know, I didn't know anything about them before this episode. Well, apparently it's actually pretty common and that the practice is called team truck driving. And it's, it's a really great solution for drivers who can't stand the thought of being away from their loved ones for that long. So how does it work exactly? Does only one person do the driving or are they both employees? Well, usually both people get their own commercial driver's license and, and then they swap between driving and sleeping. So just like with regular drivers, teams are paid per mile. So while they may split the pay, they're also able to cover ground in less time than solo drivers, which you know, it means they can finish one job and be on to the next much quicker. Yeah, that sounds like the way to go, especially since it means you always have company with you. Yeah, and you know, another benefit is not having to find a place to stop every single night. So there's a serious parking shortage along U.S. highways, and it's causing a ton of frustration for today's truckers. So just listen to these numbers. The Federal Highway Administration conducted a survey among truck drivers and found that over 75% of respondents routinely have trouble finding a safe place to park overnight when they need a rest. Wow. Which is no surprise when you consider there are only about 300,000 parking spaces for the more than 3 million trucks on the road. That's a major problem. That's insane. I didn't realize there was that much of a shortage. But if we're tackling the subject of problems faced by modern truckers, we should also address this elephant in the room, and that's that self-driving trucks are on the way. I mean, the short version is that self-driving trucks are coming, and it's really a matter of when, but how soon we'll see them is still up for debate. On the one hand, it's much easier to design these autonomous vehicles for highway use than it is for city streets and suburban neighborhoods. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, highways have long, straight stretches of road, no traffic lights, and much fewer moving obstacles like pedestrians or bike riders, and it's a lot less for a robot to keep track of. Exactly. And a lot of these self-driving cars can already handle much of what's needed for highway driving. Like they know how to stay in their lanes and maintain steady speeds and keep a safe distance from the cars around them. It actually kind of makes me wonder, like, why aren't truckers already out of a job? Yeah, so I, I was wondering that, too. And there's still some important aspects of driving that autonomous vehicles haven't mastered yet even for highway driving. So, like, once these self-driving semis do hit the road, there'll still be a place for human drivers, at least at first. I mean, the truck would do most of the highway driving, but it would cede control to the human when there's particularly a sharp curve coming up or when it's time to exit off the highway or when the trailer needs to be nimbly backed into a warehouse to be unloaded. All right, so initially there would be this, I don't know, kind of like a partnership between human operators and these self-driving trucks, but I'm guessing that would just be a temporary truce during this process. That's most likely the case. I, I mean, the tech is out there and companies like Google and Tesla and Amazon, they're just so eager to put it to use as soon as possible. And once it's rolled out in earnest, trucking companies are going to have a hard time competing. You know, these trucks are never going to speed or cause accidents and they don't need to stop for rest or food. Of course, it could be a decade or more before semis are fully autonomous and there's still legal hurdles to be cleared along the way. Yeah, just last month I was reading this piece of legislation that the Senate released that, that would allow the government to establish rules about self-driving, about the design and the usage of self-driving vehicles. But interestingly, there was actually no mention of autonomous commercial vehicles at all in this hmm. legislation. So this was a blow to companies who would benefit from a clear set of national rules for how they can build and sell these self-driving big rigs. But naturally, Teamsters have been fighting against self-driving trucks, so so this bill that pushes the prospect further down the road, it's something of a win for them. 
And the truth is, truckers feel like such an important and overlooked community. There's actually one more quote that I wanted to share from that Pacific Standard article I mentioned earlier. I actually think it kind of sums up what we've been talking about in this, you know, this relationship and the difficulties of the trucker lifestyle and and the disconnect they sometimes feel between themselves and the public. Yeah, so I'd love to hear it. All right, so Stevenson writes, quote, There's a sense among long-distance drivers of a universal lack of sympathy for the utterly essential service they provide. It's an old-fashioned profession, but it remains more central to the fabric of our lives than many would suspect. These are the people who sleep in parking lots, shower in gas stations, and together sustain the entire American economy. It's funny. I I don't really think of it as old-fashioned, but I guess it is. And the fact that they keep the entire economy afloat is pretty amazing. But speaking of amazing... Time for the part-time genius backed up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, here we go. I'll start us off. So the average tractor trailer gets about six and a half miles per gallon, which is not that great, right? But <laughs> there are hybrid models in the works that'll get a little over 12 miles per gallon. I mean, that's a crazy improvement. And I guess those numbers sound small compared to your car at home, but it isn't that weird when you consider that a tractor trailer weighs about 80,000 pounds, which according to the Trucking Museum is about 28 cars or 1,600 second graders. Wow, considering we both have second graders, that really hits home for us. We can (laughs) wrap our heads around it. All right, well, when FDR repealed Prohibition, Yingling was so appreciative of it that they sent a truckload of its freshly brewed winter beer to the White House. (laughs) So one of Steven Spielberg's first movies was a thriller about a truck. It's called Duel. And apparently it's this tense movie about a businessman on the road who keeps getting stalked by a truck driver he overtakes. Apparently Spielberg actually watches the movie twice a year just to remember what he did. Have you ever seen this movie? Mm -mm. I can't say I've even heard of it. It's called Duel. Mm -hmm. Somehow missed it. All right. Well, I know you were a big Esquire fan and, and I know you talked about the blinking electronic covers that the magazine made. I think this was back in 2008 or so. Mm hmm. But something I had not read about before, did you know they actually had to hire a special fleet of refrigerated trucks to get those magazines to the newsstand? (laughs) Apparently, all those magazines had to be shipped cold in order to preserve that battery life. That's crazy. You know, in China, Mr. Softy ice cream trucks go by the name Mr. Softheart. Apparently, softy isn't a word in China. Is it a word here? (laughs) I mean, I know people use it. but All right. So had you heard about this truck driver from Mississippi? His name is Robert Gray. Uh Uh-uh. So apparently he won the Democratic nomination for governor in 2015 entirely by accident. What? <laughs> After putting his name on the ballot, he forgot about the campaign and he went back to driving. He claims <laughs> to have only spent about 50 or 60 bucks on his campaign. He didn't even vote for himself, but somehow he carried <laughs> 78 counties and earned the nomination. How is that possible? Good job, Mississippi. <laughs> so Samsung is working on providing giant screens for the back of their trucks. And the things, which kind of look like flat screen TVs, are meant for the drivers behind the trucks. So you know how when you're like trying to pass a truck, you have to edge into the next lane to see if you can pass? Like this prevents that and creates this giant window so you can see the traffic the truck might be obscuring. Huh, that's interesting. Actually, that'd be a really cool and helpful invention. Mm Mm-hmm. But you know what I think is cooler than that, Mango? What's that? I'm not sure if you remember on Knight Rider how the car used to drive up onto the truck as they were both moving down the highway. How could I not remember that? It's like the coolest thing about the show. It is kind of the coolest thing about the show. Well, I, I remember hearing and reading that it was actually impossible due to the physics of it all. Like, you know, you'd accelerate too fast and crash into the inside of the truck. But actually, it's totally possible. <laughs> 
Thanks to our friends over at Mythbusters. They did this episode where they did it at 30 miles an hour and then again at 55 miles an hour. And apparently the car's inertia keeps it going at the same speed relative to the ground. And that lets it safely drive onto the tractor trailer. That's that's amazing. Like, I've actually got to watch the episode because I always believed that the you'd crash into the truck. But I, I think the fact that you brought a Knight Rider fact into the episode on trucks seals the deal. So you get the trophy. I thought that was going to do it. Thank <laughs> you very much. Well, that's it for today's show. And if we missed any truck facts you think we should have included, be sure to drop us a line at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or call and leave a message on our 24-7 fact hotline. That's 1-844-PT-GENIUS. It's been so much fun seeing the facts that are coming in from listeners after the episodes. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did Did we forget Jason? Jason who? Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.